The text for this morning's message is found in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. Where is the wise man? And where is the scribe? And where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This series of messages that we're in the middle of right now was born in Hebrews 6.11, which says... We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope to the end. In other words, this series was born in God's word to Bethlehem saying, I want you to be passionate and persistent in the pursuit of the full assurance of hope. I don't want you to labor under the burden of uncertainty about your eternal life. I don't want you to wake up in the morning and be afraid that you are not saved. I don't want you to move through the day in a faltering, fearful, anxious way about your future. I want you to have the full assurance of hope, not only now, but right to the end. And I want you to be zealous in realizing it. That's where it all got started, back How many weeks ago? And the way we've been pursuing this is by saying one of the ways, and I think it's the most important way by which we pursue assurance, is by getting our eyes onto the objective, solid rock of God's saving work outside ourselves. I've stressed the paradox that if we can just deflect our attention, the attention of our minds, off of the subjective sensations of assurance onto the objective foundations of assurance, that a miracle happens. It's kind of a paradoxical miracle that if you stop attending to all the rumblings and emotional ups and downs inside and get your mind fixed, on these glorious, objective things that God has done, the effect on the inside is to take it deeper and make it stronger and make it higher. This is a wonderful thing, and that's what we're trying to do now for about five weeks. We have seen, first of all, the great, grand, objective reality where it all began, namely, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless in Him in love. 
And then secondly, we saw God predestined us in Him to be His children and to be conformed to the image of His Son. And then we saw thirdly, that God vindicated in Christ and His death the worth of His glory so that when He passes over God-belittling sins, God is not belittled. And then we saw how He laid a foundation for the justification of the ungodly by laying all of our iniquities onto Jesus. And then last week, we saw how He wrought a great reconciliation by taking all the wrath, the holy, just indignation against us, His people, and draining it to the very last drop at the cross so there's not any of it left in the bottom of the cup. Now, those are the five great works of redeeming love that we have seen, and they are accomplished by God outside ourselves, and we had zero to do with them. Nothing. God took the initiative, and God wrought all those things that you, in looking to them, might be quickened to believe and drawn into them and made solid like they are solid forevermore in salvation. Now this morning, we take a sixth step. It's called the call of God. I want you to do what verse 26 in our text, which we did not read because it starts a new paragraph, but we're going to do it anyway. Literally, the phrase in verse 26 begins, consider your call. That's the literal translation. Consider your call. That's what I want you to do for the next 20 minutes or so. Consider your call. Do you know your call? Do you know what happened to you? Do you know what the call of God was in your life? If you have a mustard seed of faith this morning to embrace Jesus Christ as the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, we have to admit right off the bat that the, the term call of God doesn't sound like a foundation for full assurance. It doesn't sound like it, because if, if I get a call, like I did day before yesterday from Karen Livingston, Noelle wasn't home, she's still coming back, and uh, Karen said, you want to come over and, and have uh, supper with David and me and the family, since Noelle's not there? She, she called me, gave me an invitation, and I said, sure, and I went and had spaghetti, and it was great. But now... If you were to tell me that this call is a foundation for the assurance that I would get there or that I would want to get there, I would say, you're crazy. There's nothing foundational about it. There's no guarantee in Karen's call to me that I'd not get hit by a bolt of lightning on the way to her house or that I even want to go. Nothing in that call makes me want to go and nothing in that call makes me get there. It's no guarantee. And so we've got some work to do from the Bible if what I maintain is true, namely that the call of God isn't like that phone call, but rather with omnipotent, irresistible power creates what it commands and therefore becomes a rock-solid, objective foundation for the assurance of hope. It is not a phone call inviting me to heaven. It is the sovereign work of God by which my will to get to heaven is created. 
Now let me begin by taking you to five considerations. The Bible says, consider your call. I want to consider it in five steps. Number one, the call is God's call. It's God's call. God is doing the call. Chapter 1, verse 9. We're going to look across the page, up the page, wherever it is in your Bible. First Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son. Now, who's doing the calling? God is doing the calling. God is faithful by whom you were called. So God, when, when I talk about the call this morning, I'm talking about a work, an act of Almighty God, right out of heaven. Supernatural intrusion into your life. He called. Now let me qualify this, just so you'll have a feel for how it happens. It always comes through the gospel shared or preached over a lunch table, over the radio, from a pulpit, in a tract. It always comes through the gospel. Second Thessalonians 2.14, He called you through our gospel. But, be careful here, the gospel and the call are not identical. They're not synonymous. Rather, what I'm going to try to show is that when the gospel comes with irresistible force, it becomes the call. Or another way to say it would be that the call of God is the gospel with a divine supercharge in it so that it has effect and produces what it commands. So the first thing to notice about the call of God is that it is God's call. The second thing now to notice is that the call of God is effective or productive, or to put it in a memorable way, at least it helps me remember, the call of God creates what it commands or does what it demands. Now to see that, we have to distinguish between the words coming out of my mouth when I preach and the call of God. They're not identical. Now let's look at this, verses 22 to 24 here in the text. Put on your thinking caps for a few minutes. These verses are just dynamite for unfolding the call of God and what it is. Verse 22, the Jews demand signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now notice what's happening here. Paul is telling the story of Jesus, and how he came into the world, and how he died for sinners, and how he rose again. And he's telling the story indiscriminately. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, white, black, yellow, high-born, low-born, smart, dumb, right across the board. The gospel goes out in love indiscriminately and people are summoned. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the indiscriminate 
heralding of the gospel. And that's what he's doing. Jew and Greek are listening. And some of them stumble over it. No way, not without a sign, brother. And some of them say it's folly and foolishness. Oh, that's ridiculous. What's this resurrection from the dead stuff? People don't rise from the dead. Grow up. Become a Greek. And then there's a group of people. And something different is going on with this group of people. Their response is, this Jesus is the power of God. This Jesus is the wisdom of God. I see it. I believe it. I embrace Jesus. He's now my power. He's now my wisdom. I lay aside all my reliance upon my power. I lay aside all my reliance upon my wisdom. And I embrace Jesus as the power and the wisdom of my life from this day forward. Now what in the world happened to those people? What makes the difference when you indiscriminately, on a morning like this, look out over 700 people and say, Believe! And some stumble, and some call it foolishness, and some embrace it. What's happening? Verse 24 tells us exactly what's happening. Starting in verse 23, Christ is a stumbling block to Jews folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is received as the power of God and the wisdom of God. Get it? Everybody was hearing the gospel Everybody was being called in an external sense. But verse 24 says that what made the difference between those who believed and didn't believe was the call of God. Do you see? The call of God distinguishes some Jews among those who are stumbling and some Greeks among those who are saying folly. And it creates... What it commands, namely, the receiving of Christ as the power and the wisdom of God. The call of God is not the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is the necessary prerequisite and vehicle of the divine supercharge. But it's the supercharge from God Almighty that in the words of the gospel blasts into some hearts and lets there be light. Romans 8.30 puts it like this. Those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. Now note that. Those whom He justified, I mean those whom He called, He justified. You say, how can He do that? Isn't justification by faith? Romans 5, 1, we are therefore justified by faith. How can you say that everybody who's called is justified? Answer, the call creates the faith infallibly and irresistibly. Everybody who is called believes. That's the meaning of the call. You got it? The meaning of the call of God is let there be faith. 
And there was faith. It's exactly what happened when there was nothingness at the beginning of the universe. And God looked out upon nothingness and he spoke to nothingness and said, Nothingness, let there be light. And nothingness obeyed. And there was light. That's the way you became a Christian. That's what I want you to feel this morning. I want you to know how you got saved so that you fall on your face and say, Praise be to the almighty, omnipotent, creative God in my life. And so that you have an objective place to stand to know where your faith came from. And believe me, it was not born out of your autonomy. Romans 4.17 is a beautiful description of the supercharged, omnipotent call of God. It says, Romans 4.17, He gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. He looks out upon the nothingness of the spiritual life. Zero, no spiritual reality in the natural man. And he looks into the nothingness of your heart and he says, Let there be faith. And there is faith. That's the call of God on your life. That's how you became a Christian, to God's great glory. Now I can use an analogy here from your own experience to show you how this works. You can all do this to people up to a certain measure. If somebody is oversleeping and they are to be at an important engagement and uh, you want to help them get there and save them from losing the job or whatever it might be, you can walk into their room while they're sleeping and speak to the nothingness of wakefulness. There is no wakefulness about them. Zero, non-existent wakefulness. And you can say, wake up! And you create wakefulness. It, your voice creates what you command. Now that's an excellent analogy. That's an excellent analogy of what God does to dead people. Right? He stands outside Lazarus' tomb, and according to John 12, 12, 17, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus obeys. Life happens in response to the word of Jesus. That's the call. That's the meaning of God's divine call. It creates what it commands. So if a person's dead and he says, rise, the word creates it. I stood beside my, my father-in-law's body on Saturday last week in Georgia. And I looked at him and he looked like he was asleep. And I thought to myself... One of these days, just as easily as I can wake one of my sons, God's going to stand beside everybody that's ever died and said, Wake up, George, Sally, Mary, Jane. Wake up. And he'll sit up. Just like that. He'll sit up. Because the Word of God is no ordinary call. It has the power to create what it commands. That's how you got saved. Once you were not a believer, once you had no love to Christ, once you did not delight in the Word of God, once you did not embrace Jesus as the power and the wisdom of God, and you went your own way, depending on your own strength, and then something happened. It might have been like a thunderbolt for some of you. Others, it might have been like a little blade of grass. You ever seen this happen? I'm always amazed at the power of grass. 
Have you ever seen a little blade of grass split a sidewalk? I remember walking across over Bethel a few years ago, and Carol pointed it out to me. Uh, coming up through the asphalt, a little teeny blade of grass split, split the black asphalt wide open. And I reached down and I said, what are you made of, grass? And I picked it up, and it was soft. It was just a little wet, soft piece of grass. Broke the sidewalk open. That's the way God is. He can come with a thunderbolt, turn you around, or it can be such a quiet thing that suddenly, having sat under the rain of the Spirit and the Word, you realize the cement of your heart has been cracked and life is there. And you say, I'm alive! I'm alive! I believe! Where did that come from? So many people teach it comes right from your autonomy. And I'll tell you, that's an offense to God. That doctrine is an offense to God. Most people leave it. It's an offense to the living God to teach that that little, that little piece of grass that broke the concrete of your heart and opened you to the living God and caused you to embrace Jesus as Lord is from your self-determining autonomy. It isn't. It's from the almighty, omnipotent, supercharged gospel called God's call. That's how you got saved. Give Him the glory. We've seen two things. Number one, the call is God's call. Number two, it is effective. It creates what it commands. And now we see number three, the call of God is designed to guarantee God's purpose of election. The call of God is designed to guarantee the election of God and its purpose. The question I'm, I'm asking here is, why does God do it this way? Why does God intrude upon people's lives with irresistible power and create what He commands? And the answer is, to guarantee the purpose of election. You see, you, you have to ask, if you believe what we've been teaching for the last five weeks, you have to ask a question like this. Now, if God got everything rolling back before the foundation of the world by electing and by predestining, does He now fold His arms and stand back and watch and say, Wow! I wonder how my electing and my predestining purposes will turn out. I wonder if anybody will respond. I wonder if people really will be conformed to Jesus. I wonder if people really will believe and be holy and blameless. I wonder if anybody will be conformed to my son. I wonder how the self-determining free will of man will really cause this whole thing to shake out. That's not the way he does it. When God elects and predestines, he now, in history, objectively moves in by a sovereign call and secures what he destined. Now, I'll show you that from two verses. The first one is Romans 9, 11, where the call of God and the purpose of God in election are brought into harmony. It says that God chose Jacob over Esau in order that... Now, watch this. In order that... God's purpose of election might continue, might stand, might remain. Not because of works, but because of the one who calls. Now notice that. God works so that the purpose of election, the purpose appointed for the elect way back before the foundation of the world, might stand right here in history on this morning... By what means? By works? 
by self-initiated performances of human beings or by the one who calls things into existence that are not? Answer, the latter. The, the purpose of God in election is made strong, firm, sure, secure, guaranteed by the call of God. The point of the call of God is to secure the purpose of the election of God. Here's another verse that says the very same thing. 2 Timothy 1.9 Paul says, God saved us and called us. He called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. So the call does not accord to works. There's no correlation between works and call. You did absolutely nothing in order to be called. Nothing. Zero. The call enabled you to have the first little millimeter of faith and longing for God. You did not win the call. The call won you. And this verse says, He called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace that He gave us in Jesus ages ago. So ages ago, a graceful purpose was destined for the people of God. And now, in accord with that, the call of God moves in and secures those that God destined to be His own. You became God's, not only by virtue of having been appointed before the foundation of the world for glory, but by virtue of an act of God by which He today creates what He destined and what He commands. It's God who did it. It's a glorious, secure, firm, unbreakable salvation. Romans 8.30 again, this great verse. We come back to it again and again. Those whom He predestined, He also called. So whom God predestined, He called. The call secures the destiny. Had He not called, the destiny would abort. We were destined to be holy, blameless, loving, Christ-like. None of us is holy, blameless, loving, and Christ-like. We're all sinners. So the whole thing aborts. It ends. It peters out. The river dies in the desert. Unless God can secure His electing purpose with a sovereign call, which is what He does. The fourth consideration is, what were we called to? And the answer is huge, but let me just very briefly sum up four things that you were called to. You were called, first and foremost, to eternal life. 1 Timothy 6.12, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And then secondly, you were called to light out of darkness. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy people, God's own possession, that you might declare the marvelous deeds of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Life, light, and you were called, according to Galatians 5.13, to freedom. Brethren, you were called to freedom. Do not use your freedom as an occasion for the flesh, but serve one another in love. And finally, fourthly, you were called to eternal glory. 
1 Peter 5.10, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you into His eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will Himself restore, establish, and strengthen you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Life, light, freedom, glory, everything you've ever wanted, you can have and do have by the call of God in your life. Finally, number five, the call of God is a foundation for full assurance because it is irrevocable. It is irrevocable. Romans 11, 29, the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. They're never revoked. They're never canceled. They're never called back. They're never vetoed. God never repeals His call once it goes out. In fact, the whole point, if you can catch on to these days, the whole point is that the salvation of God was wrought in eternity for eternity and every piece of it is secured by Almighty God. It is an unshakable reality because it's all of God. God has wrought this great salvation. God has elected. God has predestined. God has vindicated His glory. God justifies the ungodly. God reconciles sinners. God calls them and creates what He calls. It's of God. God will get the glory. We just sing to God forever and ever and ever because of this great salvation. Here's the, word. Here's the way Jesus puts it. Many of you know this. You've learned it when you were little children. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, my call. My sheep, those who are my sheep, my elect sheep, they hear my voice. And I know them. Remember that? Depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, that we might never hear that. I know my sheep. And they always and infallibly follow me when they hear my voice. Because my voice creates the following. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and nobody can pluck them out of my hand. My Father, who gave them to me, out of the world, He gave them to me, is greater than all, and nobody can pluck them out of my Father's hand. So the sentence that captures that last phrase and leads us to next Sunday's message is this. Whom God calls, God keeps. If you're sitting there now, outside all this, sort of outside looking in saying, I don't know what you're talking about. (coughs) You perceive yourself right now to be an outsider to these great realities. Sort of like I'm describing a magnificent building with all of its structures, and and you're on the outside looking at the building. My prayer early this morning, and all through this morning, and right now, in my heart, has been for you that at least you will right now recognize how desperate you are without God. You're not going to save yourself. And the most wonderful thing that could ever happen to you right now is terror at the helplessness of your own deadness in sin. 
how can dead people raise themselves? And so I pray that you would feel desperate, because that's the first evidence of the work of God in your life. That's a hopeful sign. And then I pray that you would hear the gospel, and in it, the call of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you labor for that which is not bread? The invitation is indiscriminate. And my prayer is that as I give it, you would hear it and bow and submit and say, Yes, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the power of God. I forsake my wisdom. I forsake my power. I embrace Jesus as my strength and my path in life. I will not make my decisions anymore without consulting Him. And I will not bank anymore on my own resources. I am the Lord's. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I just beg of you now in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would come upon people with your irresistible moving. That you would create the faith that you call for and that you would have mercy upon the dead and raise them to life and upon the blind and open their eyes and upon those who are trapped in the mire of sin and give them liberty into the slavery of God. Oh God, I pray earnestly that you would take all your saints who are here, some with a little mustard seed of faith and some overflowing with joy this morning, and grant them to see how they got to be where they are, that they might give you the glory. Oh Lord, teach us how we were made what we are, that you might be honored and that we might stand not on the quicksand of our own resources but on the rock-solid, objective reality of your call in our life and your work in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, build a strong people. And in the full assurance of faith, may we be liberated to love one another and to take risks in the community and in the city to stand up and say what you once said, come what may, because if you are for us, what can man do to us? Pray this in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen.